Hey, Journey, I'm so glad that you're here today. I am at student camp uh, with just under 200 of our students and leaders and almost our entire ministry team. Uh, and I would ask that you be praying for us today. Of course, all of our students are going to be worshiping and learning and having a great time all week long. I'll be speaking to nearly a thousand students at camp today uh, from more than 20 churches kind of all over the southeast part of the United States. Um, And I'm trusting that by the time we get to camp, God is really going to be doing a major work. But pray, pray for our kids that their hearts would be open to God. Pray for our kids that their hurts might be healed down at camp this week. Pray for our kids that they'd create some lifelong friendships this week at camp that they'll have for the rest of their life. And then please pray that we'll be safe as we travel home. We leave Tuesday around midnight. We return Wednesday around 4 or 4.30. So just pray that God gives us safety while we travel. Uh, And then make sure next Sunday you're here because we're going to have an incredible youth camp celebration service. I want you to come hear the testimonies of our kids, kind of see them help lead us in worship, uh, and hear the message that's going to be given that day. It's going to be really, really good. For today, I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bible, Romans chapter 1 is where we're going to be studying scripture today. And we are in a summer series that's called Old Time Religion. And we are studying the Apostles' Creed this summer in order to learn the foundations of our faith so that by being deeper, we might be stronger and have more impact in our community. The first week of this series, we studied the two words, I believe. And we talked about belief and unbelief and how we get there. Uh, Last week, we talked on Father's Day about believing in God, the Father Almighty. And we talked about the faith of a father from Luke chapter 15, a longing heart for those who are rebellious, a loving heart for those who are self-righteous. We really got impacted deeply by the testimonies of dads who were baptized. And today, in just one verse, in Romans chapter 1, we see the Apostle Paul talk to us through the church at Rome about God being the creator. So Romans chapter 1, verse 20, just one verse today as we read together. Here's what it says. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Paul said, if you want to know that God exists, look at creation. Because when we look at creation, there's no excuse for anyone not to believe that there is a God. And for nearly 1,900 years of church history, people believe that. But in 1859, a professor by the name of Charles Darwin wrote a book called Origin of Species, which basically, after studying for years certain types of life forms on planet Earth, uh, he said, looking at life forms, you can see that life forms descended from common ancestors over time through a process called natural selection. They adapt and they adjust over time, and the strongest of those species survive. Over the next hundred years, uh, all kinds of scientific discoveries would be made to further this study of life forms as they are, how they descended from life forms that were earlier, and how they adjusted uh, according to natural selection. But at the same time, uh, people in our world, mostly at universities at the time, 150 years ago, who did not believe in God, 
took Darwin's theory to mean that there wasn't a need from God. If we could prove that any life form had evolved from a previous life form, maybe there was a first one that all that started from, and maybe there wasn't any need for God in the world at all. And over the course of about 150 years, a story was written that basically said religion pointed to God, but science and knowledge and nature pointed away from God. As a matter of fact, Paul says, if you look at creation, you see God. A lot of science will tell us today, if you want to see God, you have to look at religion. But don't look at creation because creation doesn't point to God, even though not even science can explain human beings that are created in the image of a divine nature. Today, many Christians will tell you, and it's what I believe, that science gives us the details of creation. And if you haven't pulled your notes out already, pull those out. Because today we're going to look at God as creator. But we believe that science gives us the details of creation. It fills in a lot of the gaps. But science does not determine the why. Science does not determine how or why anything or everything was created. Andy Stanley, who's a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, that I follow, has this to say about scientific discoveries as they lay science and faith side by side. He said, every time there's a new scientific discovery, I find myself thinking, so that's how he did it. But we believe it's God that triggered all of the science that gives us so many details. And 800 years before Darwin's book and Darwin's theory on evolution became about Christianity already had a foundational teaching and a foundational understanding of where they believe everything started from. And we find it in the Apostles' Creed. All summer long at Journey this year, we're studying the Apostles' Creed. I want you to reach inside your bulletin and pull out this little card if you would. It'll also be on your Journey Church app. And would you, in honor of the apostles who gave their life for this teaching and endured for hundreds of years in a persecuted church so we could have this teaching, would you stand as we read together the Apostles' Creed? Everyone right now, stand if you would with a card in your hand or your app open. And can we read together out loud the Apostles' Creed, the foundation of our Christianity? Here's what it says. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated, and as you're seated, I want to direct your attention to the first two lines of the Apostles' Creed. I hope you'll underline them on today's card, maybe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Carl Gustav Boberg was a sailor from Sweden who lived in the mid-1800s, and he gave up his life of sailing to become a lay minister at his church. After years of being on the seas, which you could imagine during those days was harrowing in itself, 
He was sitting in his church working one day in the midst of a storm. And while the storm was raging outside, 12 noon hit. And at their church, they had a church bell that would ring in the steeple every day at 12 noon, 12 times. As that storm raged and his thunder clapped and his rain was hitting the window pane and his wind was whipping the church around. And at the same time, these church bells were echoing in his ears. Boberg realized that as he looked back on his life, there had never been a moment in in the midst of the fiercest storm where God wasn't always present. He pulled a pen out, he pulled a sheet of paper out, and he began to write a poem about his experience in the world where he had never truly doubted he was outside the presence of God. And he wrote these words, which may be familiar, especially if you paid attention during worship today. He wrote the words, O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder... Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe is displayed. When that realization happens, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. More than 150 years later, we continue to sing that song written by this sailor turned pastor because in the midst of his storms, he looked around at God's creation and realized that we served a powerful God. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever had a moment on a shoreline? Have you ever had a moment on a mountain peak? Have you ever had a moment on a drive across beautiful prairies? Have you ever had a moment sitting in the middle of a lake or in the middle of a storm watching the lightning where you just saw the awesome power of the universe and thought, man, our God is great, our God is powerful? Have you ever been in a storm and the thunder and the lightning and the wind and the rain were interrupted? By a peace that God sent your heart and you found yourself saying, God, in the midst of this storm, you were so great. Maybe you're in the midst of a storm today or one of your family members is. Do you know that if we will take time to look upon creation, we will find a creator that brings us peace. The Apostles' Creed taught that Christians believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of the heaven and the earth. You know, I taught at our Slamma Jamma, what we call our vacation Bible school, the kids that the universe is a clue, that God has left clues for us to find him and everything in the universe is a clue. What I taught those little kids a few weeks ago in this auditorium, we basically now get to study on a little deeper level today as adults that the universe is a clue of the creator. What is creation? What does it mean when we believe in creation and why should we? Well, number one, if you have your outline with you, creation is communication. Creation is communication. I was eight years old in 1986 when I went to see a movie about a Jewish-Russian family of mice who were driven from their house during Hanukkah one year. There was a little boy in the family named Fievel. He had an older sister named Tanya, and they, along with the family of whose house they inhabited, took a trip across the Atlantic on a boat. And one night on that boat, little Fievel was washed out to sea and floated in the ocean for a while by himself. And his family thought he was lost forever. And he didn't know if he would ever see them again. 
In the movie, they end up at the same time in the city of New York and New York City Harbor. They don't know it, but kind of the pinnacle of the movie is when little Fievel is sitting on top of, the, of a thing where he is and his sister Tanya is sitting where she is. They're wondering if they'll ever see each other again. They're looking up at the sky and they see the moon, they see the stars, and they realize regardless of where the other one is, they can each see the same thing and they begin to sing this great song somewhere out there. Now, I'm 39 years old now. Uh, I have a tremendous love of all things in the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, shooting stars, lightning. I'm in awe of the universe. But believe it or not, it started listening to these two little mice sing about what they were seeing that drew them together. That's what Romans 120 is talking about. You say, two mice singing in an animated movie? No. The fact that the universe is communicating to us. Look at Romans 120 again. Paul says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. After I gave this message to our staff, Pastor Ryan came up to me nearly in tears at the end of the message and said, that was just one of the most unbelievable things that I've ever heard, but I have to know, did Fievel and Tanya ever find each other? For those who have not seen the movie, you got to watch it. I'm not going to give you the answer, but there is a happy ending there. But here's what we learn as we look at creation as communication. One of the primary purposes of the created everything that's been created, one of the primary purposes of the created is to point to the creator, to point to something outside of creation that created this for us. You know, for years I was in student ministry and I used to talk to my students who were disturbed very rightly in their souls over this thought that science could prove that there was no need of God. And I would tell them, listen and learn as much science as you can, but you can believe in science and in God. As a matter of fact, when we just look at scientific laws, I used to tell my students, go back and ask your teachers, can evolutionary science exist outside the laws of science? Can evolutionary science exist outside the laws of science? They would go back and ask them and they would say, no, science has to operate within the laws of science. But one of the laws of science that I've studied with my kids and you've studied with yours is this law of cause and effect that basically nothing moves unless acted upon by an outside force. So I would ask them, go back and ask then. As science researches history back to a point in time when everything exploded on this first day of creation and what used to be known as the Big Bang, I would say, go back and ask if science says something has to act on, an, on a force what outside force kind of kick-started the big bang? And my kids, you could see like a light go on in their head, and they'd say, wait a minute. So you're saying that God produced the big bang, that, that, that God began the initial part of creation through his word? And I said, yes, I am. If there was a big bang, it was God who did it. I had a student one time say to me, so you're saying God's a big banger. And I was like, well, no, God, like God's not really, I wouldn't call him a big banger. He's not a, a gangster, but I understand what you're saying. If there was a big bang, science says Someone started that, and I believe the scripture says God started that. Why? So that it would point to a creator. And you know, the deeper we dive into creation, the more that it communicates to us about a creator. The deeper we dive into creation and the created, 
the more it communicates to us about a creator. In June of 2000, President Bill Clinton sat in the East Room of the White House with a man named Dr. Francis Collins, who was the head of the Human Genome Project, to announce a landmark discovery. Dr. Collins and a group of scientists for, year had, for years had been on the cutting edge of DNA technology, and they had been trying to map, for the first time ever scientifically, a human gene, a complete human gene, the building blocks of human life, the, the genetic code that we carry. And after years of research and study and data, they had done it. They had mapped a human gene. The code of the human gene was three billion letters long. If you were to read one letter per second, it would take 93 years to read if you read it day and night and never stopped 24 hours a day. That's how long the code is in a human gene. If you were to put those letters on a regular size sheet of paper in a regular font, the pieces of paper would stack higher than the Washington Monument. That's how much detail there is in a human gene. And Dr. Francis Collins, as he sat beside Bill Clinton, heard Bill Clinton utter these words, these scientists have uncovered the language of God within human genetics, the language of God. He would, after that, write a book by that title, The Language of God, helping share his move from atheism to Christianity because he said the deeper he got into science, the deeper it was revealed that there had to be a creator that put it all together. We start with creation. It's where the Apostle Paul started. When the Apostle Paul went to Athens, Greece, and he went to the Acropolis, which was the center of philosophical debate and learning in the entire known world, Paul could have started anywhere, his story of who God was. And where did he start talking to the most educated people in the world about God? Where did he begin? He began at creation. In Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 25, Paul said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and the earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath in everything else. It's God who created it and creation communicates to us about God who's trying to communicate to us. But here's the question we have to ask. If creation is communicating to us about God, why? Why would creation be communicating to us about God? That's because, number two, creation is connection. So creation is communication. It's God shouting to us about his existence. But creation is more than that. Creation is connection. It's God shouting to us about his desire to be close to us. The key creation question that anyone who believes in creation but thinks about it rationally has to ask is this. If there is a creator... And he created humanity, why? If there's a creator and he created humanity, why? Why why would he do that? And it's only by asking that question and trying to answer it that we understand the fully picture. C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun is risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That question unveils not just creation, but the rest of the picture If God created us, why? Answering that question allows us not just to see the creator, but his entire plan for our life. And it's a good question. Why would God create us? You know, Moses asked that question. Moses, who was leading 
really a very large family reunion. There was a man named Abraham who was promised by God that his family would turn into a nation. He had a son, Isaac, who would have a son named Jacob. And over the course of 400 years, this family really wouldn't become a nation. They had no land. They had no constitution. They had no government. They had no army. They weren't a nation. They were just a bunch of people who were all related to each other. They were known as the nation of Israel, but it was the family of Israel. They'd been slaves for 400 years in Egypt when God sent them a rescuer named Moses. God sent his 10 plagues upon Egypt. Maybe you've heard that story. And then he rescued him by allowing him to walk through the Red Sea and just a, a marvelous supernatural occurrence. And then they find themselves at the base of Mount Sinai where Moses is trying to help the people understand what the next steps are. And the people are nervous because they don't know a whole lot about this God. And, and they don't know why they should trust this God other than they've seen his awesome power. And Moses goes up on this mountain in the middle of the Arabian desert. And in Exodus chapter 33, Moses having a conversation with God basically says, I need you to give me more details. I need you to, I need you to fill me in. I need you to help me understand why we're here and what we're doing so I can help the people understand why we're here and what we're doing because we, we don't have the connection we're supposed to have to the story yet. So what's going on? Many Bible scholars believe it was on a mountain in the Arabian desert that Genesis chapter 1 was written. When Moses went before God and he said this in Exodus 33 verses 12 and 13, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me lead these people but you've not let me know whom you're going to send with me. You've said, I know you by name. I, you found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways. So I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Moses said, God, I'll follow you, but you've got to give me the details. Many Bible scholars believe that it was at this point that God said, all right, take out your pen. In the beginning. And he began to tell them the story of why he loved these people, was with these people, was for these people, and would lead these people. Which means the spiritual purpose of the Genesis creation account is connection. It's not creation. Moses didn't go up and ask God, God, what, you know, tell me why I've only got two hands and five fingers on each hand. I don't understand why I'm not more like an animal. God didn't say we're having trouble understanding some of the botany of the plants or the zoology of the animals. Moses didn't ask a scientific question. He asked a personal question. He didn't say, God, why do fish breathe with gills and we breathe with lungs? He didn't say, why do snakes crawl and we walk? He didn't ask for a science lesson. He wanted a connection lesson, which means the creation story is not a science story. It's a connection story. And science certainly can fill in the gaps. We can learn from it. Every new scientific fact that is a discovery, we can say, wow, so that's how he did it. But Genesis was meant to help people understand connection. Creation is connection. And just in the first three chapters of Genesis, the creation story takes us to second level connection and beyond, as Buzz Lightyear would say. We see second level connection and beyond. I talked about this on Easter Sunday, if you were with us. On Easter, we just basically talk through this story of creation and recreation. Scene one of the creation story, the creator and the creation were connected. Scene two of the creation story, the creator and the creation were disconnected through sin. Scene three of the creation story, the creator and the creation were reconnected through God putting things right and putting things back together. But the best part is scene four where the creator promised a recreation. 
I want you to think about this. Three chapters of the Bible. Not to explain the scientific creation of the world, but to explain the human connection relationship to God. Three chapters of Scripture. The next 47 chapters of Genesis, they would all tell the story of God's struggle to hang on to his connection with people. The rest of the 65 books of the Bible would all tell the story of a God who so desperately wanted his connection with his people that he would do anything, including have his son die, so he could be connected to people. Creation is a connection story. And God said, once we are connected... I will create for you a new heaven, a new Eden, a new earth. And I would ask you, how do you believe that God can create everything brand new if you don't believe that God created everything new in the first place? How can you put all of your faith in a recreation when you're not willing to put any of your faith into a creation? You see, creation is communication. The apostles believed and taught that creation communicated to us that God was a creator that wanted a connection. Creation is connection. And through the writings of scripture, we see God's desperation to be connected to us and him opening doors for us to be connected to him through even the death of his son. But then we see God's promise that once we all come together, he'll recreate everything. Why do we believe in creation? Because number three, recreation is our hope. We believe in creation because recreation is our hope. And it wouldn't make sense to put all of our hope and faith and comfort in recreation if we didn't believe there was any original creation. So we believe God created and we believe God can recreate. Do you know that the creator left clues about recreation in his creation? Maybe you found some of them. The creator left clues about recreation in his creation. You say, what kind of clues? Clues that he could bring dead things back to life. That tree in your yard that dies every November or December, but then comes back to life every March or April, that's a clue that the creator can recreate things that have died. That yard of yours which very sadly in late October, November dies and quits growing, but gladly every year in March or April begins to grow again. That's a clue. That's a clue that God can take things that appear to be dead and he can bring them back to life. Those flowers that you plant, that they grow, then they die, but then they grow again. Those are all clues according to Jesus. Jesus said this in John chapter 12, very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it can produce many seeds. It's a clue. It's a clue that this life seems like one, and when this life seems over, all seems sad. But God, the creator, says in death, when something dies, it's recreated to its truest purpose with him. It's a clue. The creator left clues about recreation in his creation. The creator also left a guarantee about recreation in his creation. He laid it all on the line. God laid all of his promises on the line and here was his bet. Here was his security, creation. In Hosea 6.3, the prophet Hosea said it this way. 
He said, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge the Lord. Because as surely as the sun rises, he's going to appear. The prophets appealed to creation for God's consistency. And tell me what day of your life the sun did not come up. May have been some clouds where you couldn't see it. But tell me what day of your life the sun did not come back up. Hosea says you can trust God to be in your life that much. Jeremiah takes it one step further where God says, let's lay it all on the line. For people who wonder if I'm real, let's lay it all on the line. And in Jeremiah 33, it says the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that the day and night no longer come at their appointed time, Then my covenant with David, my servant, which was a covenant to bless the world through a relative of David named Jesus. And my covenant with the Levites who are priests before me, a promise that there would always be someone who could connect people to God. God said, if day and night ever cease to be, that covenant will be broken. He laid it all on the line with creation. The creator said, here's how much you can trust me. You can trust me as much as you can trust creation. Now, would anyone make that bet if they didn't ultimately create and control the creation? Only a creator with absolute control over creation wagers everything on it. And that's what God did. God told Jeremiah, here's the bet. If day and night get reversed, if they get out of order, if they quit happening, then you can cancel every promise that you find in here. If creation goes wrong, they don't even matter. But the creator says, as long as creation works, it means my plan is working. And that plan is ultimately for recreation. And folks, I want to tell you, we can only have absolute hope in a recreation if we have absolute trust in a creator. We can only really have absolute hope in recreation if we have absolute trust in a creator so I believe I believe in God the father almighty creator of the heavens and the earth I believe I believe without embarrassment I believe I believe without all the answers I believe Because here's what I know that you cannot convince me otherwise of. Creation is communicating. It's communicating. And when we listen, it communicates a connection that the creator desires to have with the created. And it comes with a promise of a recreation that comes from the same power that the original creation had, but better. And I want better. You know, last year a family in Scottsdale, Arizona was called over their neighbor's house to help him clean out his garage because he was moving to a retirement home. And when the neighbor started talking to the neighbor and helping move and stuff in his garage, he found this poster of the Los Angeles Lakers that was autographed by several members of one of the championship teams, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And he told his friend, you need to have somebody come over and check this out because this could maybe be worth a lot of money. So they called a collectibles dealer. They had him come to the garage and look at the piece of, of, uh, of, you know, of, of history, this Lakers uh, kind of poster that had been autographed by the stars and said, how much do you think we could get for that? And the guy said, this is a pretty unique piece. If you find a Lakers fan, prop, you could probably get $300 for this. 
They said, wow, that's amazing. And they were so happy. And as the collector's dealer turned to walk out of the garage, he noticed a box sitting in the corner of the garage that had a bunch of things in it. And he pulled this painting out of it that you're going to see on the screen behind me. And he asked them, where did this painting come from? And the guy who lived in the house said, I don't know, when my sister passed away, that was a box of her stuff that they gave to me. It's been sitting in the garage since, and I have no idea what it is. It wasn't signed. There was no detail on it. But the collector thought, I've seen paintings like this somewhere before. So he said, can I go look at this and bring it back to you? And the guy said, sure. So he took it to his art dealer and said, what do you think of this? And the art dealer said, well, that, that looks like paintings that I've seen before. And after a few months of research, they were able to verify that that painting was in fact a painting that the famous painter Jackson Pollock had painted for this man's sister. She was a friend of hers that he had given her. No one really knew it existed. It had never been shown, but it was verified to be a Jackson Pollock painting. And when it went to auction, it made $15 million. You know, sometimes we look at our hope in God and if it, if it comes with $300 worth of value, that's awesome. But the hope of recreation for an eternity in a perfect world, that's priceless. It's so much more than $300. It's so much more than $15 million. It's so much more than we could ever think. But it becomes with a belief, it comes with a belief that the creator of heaven and earth is a recreator of a new heaven and a new earth that gives us new life that lasts for an eternity. I want that. I'm willing to believe that. Will you lean into that belief with me? Would you bow your heads with me? Would you close your eyes? And Heavenly Father, as we come to you in Jesus' name, as we end this service, Lord, we echo the words of this Swedish sailor turned pastor. Oh, Lord, our God, when we in awesome wonder consider all the worlds that your hands have made. God, we see the stars. We hear the rolling thunder. We see your power throughout the universe displayed. And God, as your universe communicates to us that you want to connect to us and that you want us to be with you in a priceless recreation, Lord, then sings our soul our Savior, our God, to Thee, how great Thou art. Lord, today we say that with the early church, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. And if you're here today, and that's a new prayer for you to pray, a new belief for you to have, if it stretches your faith, would you just ask God to help you believe just right where you're seated? Would you ask God to help you have faith? Would you ask God to, to communicate to you through his creation? Would you ask God to show you how to connect to him in a deeper way? Maybe you're here and you do believe this, but you're ashamed to talk about it because you think if you don't know all the answers, then you can't have any answers. Would you pray and ask that God would help you not to be ashamed of your belief, of your faith, and to see it as faith. Confidence is something that's unseen, a belief in something that you don't have all the answers to. Would you be willing to believe in God as the creator of the heaven and the earth? 
Would you ask God to strengthen your faith when you don't have all the answers so that you don't feel like every knowledge crisis is a faith crisis? But would you see those gaps in your knowledge as just areas where faith can be strengthened? And then maybe you're here today and you're in the midst of a storm. Could you, if you listened closely, in the midst of the thunder, the lightning, the wind, and the rain, could you hear those church bells ringing? Through the fog, can you see a single star? Through the darkness, can you see a ray of light? This God communicating to you that He's there, that He's not leaving, that He's all powerful, and that He'll stay with you. If you're in the midst of a storm right now, would you ask God to help you? If you have a friend or a family member who's in the midst of a storm right now, would you pray for them just right where you are? You might be the only person that prays for them this week at this moment. Would you ask that God would be there for them and give them hope? Would you ask that metaphorically they might hear the sound of the church bells ringing in the midst of the storm that they're in? God, we come to you today as the created. Lord, as we study the history, Lord, of your role with humanity, we see that you created us to be with us and to have us be with you. And Lord, when creation was disconnected, you created yet another way. And God, you kept the pursuit until you created a door that was forever open through the death burial and resurrection of Jesus. God, may we enter through that gate as narrow as it might be. Lord, may we enter through that gate. And Lord, may, may part of that interest be a new faith. Lord, that we believe in God, the Father Almighty, who is the creator of the heaven and the earth. And God, in the midst of the good days and in the midst of the storms, God, speak to us. Not just about who you are and how you're going to be there for us but Lord about the recreation where one day there will be no storms Lord no tears no pain no heartache but Lord just a perfect recreation with a perfect creator and a restored created Lord us in our lives as Pastor Scott comes to close our service Lord I pray that you'll be with us not just today but as we go this week be with us and help us Lord, speak to us every day, all day, through every sunset, every sunrise, through every clap of thunder and every raindrop. Lord, remind us that you're there, you want to connect, and that it all becomes new. Lord, the recreated with the creator. We love you, and God, we ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen.